Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, Series 6 has presented us with a dramatic series of events as Paul moves around from country to country with the goal of getting to Jerusalem and then from there going to Rome. That's why Series 6 is called The Gospel to Rome. And you will hopefully have seen some of the earlier episodes and you'll notice the dramatic events that have taken place, particularly as Paul arrives with his friends in the city of Jerusalem. Luke, the author, is traveling with him. This is eyewitness testimony and Luke tells the story in considerable detail. In fact, this could be worthy of a Hollywood movie. Such is the drama of what's happening in this particular situation. Some of the stories happened already and uh, more of the story unfolds today with a dramatic assassination attempt on Paul. The prophets of the church had warned Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, there's going to be trouble and suffering and difficulty for you. And it only took a very short time for that trouble to start. And if you've listened to the earlier episodes concerning these, these events, you'll remember that Paul went into the Jewish temple with some friends to fulfill a Jewish ritual and to show respect for the Jewish religion and the Jewish law. And some people who'd seen him in other countries started uh, a commotion and a riot. They started accusing Paul of disrespecting Judaism in the temple compound. And this led to a spontaneous riot suddenly in the temple. And that's what we've seen at the beginning of this part of the story. And this riot was so severe and the beating of Paul so significant that he could have been killed at that moment, but for the intervention of the Roman military authorities. And as I've said in previous episodes, the temple in the city of Jerusalem, a very, very large area with an amazing big temple building in the middle, was overlooked by an, a building next to it, the Roman army barracks, where the garrison was headquartered. It was called the Antonia Fortress, and it had four huge towers. And the two nearest towers overlooked the temple. You could literally look down as a Roman guard onto what was happening in the temple, rather like a modern surveillance camera on a high pole can look down a road or a street or look into a market area or a shopping precinct and we're aware in all sorts of different countries in the world that this kind of camera surveillance is developing quickly well the romans had their own version of this they had guards at the right at the top of the fortress looking down and they saw the riot and they alerted the commander and he quickly sent some soldiers in who, who rescued Paul from the crowd, took him into the fortress and then interrogated him 
And in the last episode, we saw the Roman commander trying to resolve the issue and trying to understand what was happening by bringing Paul back to the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He convened a meeting and he said, right, we need to understand more clearly what this argument is about. Us Romans, we don't know what it's about. I don't know whether Paul's done anything that is breaking Roman law. And so he invited the Jewish ruling council and Paul to debate the issue together while the soldiers looked on in the council chamber. Now this is what we saw in the last episode that during this discussion arguments and disagreements broke out amongst the Sanhedrin themselves about Paul and his ideas, particularly his idea about the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Jesus. So this led the commander to take Paul back into custody in the Antonia fortress. He thought, well, we're not going to get anywhere here. He still couldn't understand what the controversy was about. He just saw tremendous hatred of Paul and his Christian message from the Jewish religious authorities represented by the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious council. Now, what effect would all this have had on Paul himself? These are very dangerous and dramatic events, and he's been through tremendous danger already. But at the end of the last episode, we see a wonderful, miraculous act of God's grace towards Paul. Acts 23, verse 11. While Paul is back in the Antonia fortress, back in prison, it says, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Isn't that amazing? God reassured him in that moment that he was not going to lose his life and he was not going to spend the rest of his life in prison either, in Judea. That, that God had a greater purpose for him. And the idea that Paul had had some time ago that he needed to get to Rome and share the Christian faith in the heart of the empire, this idea would be fulfilled by God's grace. And the Lord said to Paul, have courage. Some of you need courage as you're listening to this episode because some elements in your own experience reflect the opposition and the challenge that you face to testify about Jesus. And so we come to today's episode. What's going to happen next? The commander doesn't know what to do. He's the leading authority in the city of Jerusalem representing the Roman governor. The Roman governor uh, who rules the province of Judea is based in the city of Caesarea, uh, which is a long way away from Jerusalem. And he's the final authority uh, if he needs help from him. And then something extraordinary happens in this next moment. Let's read verses 12 to 22, the first part of our reading for this episode. 
The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case, we are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander he has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he's something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and said, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. I told you it was going to be dramatic. Who are these plotters? These 40 men. Because they've taken a really dramatic oath. They're not going to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. In other words, they are intent on an assassination immediately. And they're willing to risk their lives because if you intervene in the Roman military environments and you're caught out, you'll be executed immediately. They were willing to give their lives to get rid of Paul. That was how passionately they felt that he was against the Jewish nation and against the Jewish religion. They were completely convinced that he was undermining their whole faith and their whole nation. Who were these people? What motivated them? This particular period of history was a time of intense unrest amongst the Jews. And there were periodic acts of rebellion and assassinations that took place of Roman officials right the way across the country. There was a group known as the Zealots, they appear in the Gospels, who were committed to taking up arms against the Romans. And within the Zealots, there was a smaller group known as the Sicarii, who carried small swords or daggers under their cloaks, their loose-fitting clothes, and they were assassins. 
We know from other sources that these people were operating throughout the country. We know it was a time of unrest. And so it's not surprising that people are willing to be so extreme as these 40 people were willing to be. They were against the Romans and against anything that undermined the Jewish state. Within less than 10 years of this event, the whole country was in, at war against the Romans. There was an armed rebellion. It started in Galilee and it spread across the country. It took the Romans four years to suppress that rebellion. It was known as the Jewish War and they had to draft in thousands of troops from other provinces in order to suppress the rebellion. And that's only just a few years after this. So we are in a situation of very great nationalistic fervor and real tension. And these radical plotters, they wanted to preserve their nation. They hated the Romans, but they also hated people who undermined their religion because it was their identity and they felt Paul was one of their people. And they felt the church was undermining Judaism. So the plan was very simple. They couldn't assassinate Paul while he was in the Roman fortress with the commander and his troops. So they had to find a way of persuading the commander to bring Paul out to meet the Sanhedrin again, to have another meeting. And while Paul is back in the temple area, and they're hidden away somewhere in the temple area, they can attempt an assassination because there'll only be a small Roman guard. They'll get past the guard and they will probably stab him to death suddenly. That was their plan. But they had to persuade the Sanhedrin rulers to ask the Roman commander to grant this request and to bring Paul out of the Roman uh, fortress, the barracks. But notice that when they talk to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the leaders don't discourage them from this plot. They collaborate in this plan to assassinate Paul. And they're happy to send the request to the commander, which shows their corruption and their desire to get Paul killed. We must remember that this is the same organization the same group that condemned Jesus to uh, ultimately to death through the Roman authorities as a false messiah. They are deeply opposed to the Christian faith. And Paul is seen as the key representative of the development of that faith across the Roman world. But what they didn't anticipate was an unknown person who suddenly appears on the scene by God's providence. Paul's nephew. Now Paul used to live in Jerusalem before he was converted to Christianity. He'd come from Tarsus and he'd lived in Jerusalem as a young adult. He'd trained in Judaism and so it's likely that his sister also lived in Jerusalem. So that's why it's quite understandable that Paul's family would be very interested in what was going on when he suddenly reappears in the city and his nephew 
is listening into what's happening and he hears rumor of this plot and he gets permission to go into the fortress, talk to Paul. Paul talks to the centurion and the nephew is brought to the commander. So the commander gets to hear about the assassination plot before anything is done. And this, of course, presents the commander with a very challenging situation. What to do next? He can't keep Paul in prison forever without charging him. He doesn't want to release him to the Jews and to see him assassinated and then create another great controversy. He's in a very awkward position. What should he do? He's found this issue with Paul incredibly difficult ever since it started. And this assassination plot creates another problem for him. What is the right thing for the commander to do? And so he has an idea that really he can't deal with this. Somebody else needs to deal with this. And that person is the Roman governor himself. So we read verse 23 to 35 to find out what happens next. Then he, the commander, called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows, Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I'd learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Well, the commander made a wise decision. He knew that Paul was a Roman citizen, as mentioned in this letter to the governor, which means that you can't keep them, him in, in prison without charge and you can't punish him without a law case. And so he felt it was impossible for him to deal with the situation. And so he decided to send him off to the governor in the Roman military capital of Caesarea on the coast where the governor uh, lived and where the army headquarters was for the whole country. Now, the letter from the Roman uh, commander, Claudius Lysias, just explains very briefly this situation. 
pointing out that Paul is a Roman citizen, but it also says that he's asked the accusers to go up to Caesarea. So rather than having the debate in Jerusalem, they can have it in Caesarea, where the governor is the final authority in the whole country. This gets the problem off his hands, which is very convenient for him. But it's probably the best thing that he could do. But we should notice the extraordinary circumstances of this journey. It was at night. Now, it's difficult traveling at night for obvious reasons in the ancient world. And not only did they go at night, they went immediately before anything else could happen. And not only did they go immediately, the number of soldiers sent with Paul is extraordinary. Quite out of proportion to what you might expect. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. That's nearly 500 soldiers to guard him. Now the reason for this is, as I've stated earlier, the country was in a state of ferment. And there were um, groups of terrorists or freedom fighters already operating in the country. And this group of 40 might have involved some of those in the city of Jerusalem. The, the commander was well aware that assassinations and attacks on Roman convoys took place across the country on, on a regular basis at that time. So he wasn't going to take any chances. And he, he sent out such a huge military convoy that nobody could possibly attack it successfully. And he did it immediately so that he could um, get away from any uh, interventions by this group of assassins. And so off went Paul down the road from Jerusalem to Caesarea, stopping at a Roman military outpost called Antipatris. That was about 60 kilometers down the road and then about another 40 kilometers to get to Caesarea, about a 100 kilometer journey, which would have taken all the way through the night and into the following day to get to Caesarea. And so this problem becomes the problem of Governor Felix, who ruled this province at this turbulent time, and he had a reputation for harshness and had taken a lot of actions against the Jews that were suppressing their uh, nationalism and their opposition to the Romans. So it wasn't an easy thing for him to be presented with another problem. Here's another Jewish problem, landing on his entree. Here's another controversy amongst the Jews, an assassination plot, all sorts of problems. This wasn't going to be something that he was looking forward to. But all he did at the end of this episode was to put Paul in prison in Herod's palace in Caesarea. Well, as I said at the beginning, we could make a movie out of this. Paul's life is very dramatic and there's a lot more that can be said as the story continues. But for now, let's pause and think, why is this story being told? Why are we getting so much detail on this story? Well, one reason is that Luke himself, the writer of Acts, <coughs> is described as being with Paul in Jerusalem and probably is with Paul 
as he's traveling to Caesarea, given the amount of detail that he recalls. This is eyewitness testimony of very dramatic events taking place. But I think that Luke has in mind that we learn some lessons from these kind of stories. And here are some of the things that I think we can draw by way of reflections and learning points from this episode. And the first one is that in Paul's life, Luke records no less than four incidents when in very dangerous situations, God intervenes <coughs> or an angel intervenes and speaks to him in the form of a vision or a dream or words that come very firmly to mind. And so I'm just going to pause now as we think about this and just go over those four again. One of them, of course, occurs in our passage. But let's go back in the story a little bit further. If you've been following um, the book of Acts as we've been studying it together, you'll have noticed some of these already. But let me just go back to you, uh, with you, to some interesting moments. For example, the first occasion, Acts 16, verse 9, when Paul is trying to work out where he should be evangelizing and planting churches, and he's had a frustrating time not knowing what to do next. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is a vision. This is a point of direction. Paul's a bit uncertain about life. He's, he's at a crisis point. He doesn't know which way to go, what to do. Have you ever been in that situation in life? Not quite sure, sure where to go and you're hoping that God might speak to you. Well, God spoke to Paul and gave him direction which uh, meant that he crossed the, the Aegean Sea and entered into Macedonia and Greece and a whole new mission started. Then a bit later, he ended up in the city of Corinth and it was a complicated situation in Corinth with a lot of opposition coming to him. And in Acts 18, verse 9 to 10, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So here's another vision of reassurance and notice that what is needed in response to these things always is a, a, a courage and, and confidence to move forward. And then the third example is in our passage today when he was in prison in the fortress and wondering what's going to happen next? Will I be here for, forever? Will I ever get out alive? And the Lord spoke to him in verse 11 of 23, take courage as you testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And the final example comes a little bit later in the story, but I'll mention it briefly now and we'll discuss it more fully when we get to it. <clears throat> but a little bit later, Paul eventually leaves, the, uh, leaves Judea um, by ship and is sent by the commander, by, by the governor, to Rome and to the, to the emperor. And we'll explain how that happens later on. And during that journey, there's a violent storm and a shipwreck takes place. And during the storm, when everybody thought that the ship was going to sink, Paul spoke as recorded in chapter 27, verse 24, to all the sailors and everybody on board the ship. That's about 250 people in all. 
and he said uh, that God had spoken to him, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. That's another miraculous intervention. And over 250 lives were at risk at that point if the ship had sunk, but they, every single person survived. Well, we'll tell you more about that story when we get to it. But the point I'm illustrating is that at crucial moments in Paul's life, when he needed guidance or comfort, God spoke to him and reassured him that he was with him throughout these difficulties. The second point I want to draw as a reflection from here <coughs> is to notice in the book of Acts the role of what I call God's insignificant people. People who just appear in the story briefly have a dramatic influence almost by accident without really trying to achieve anything and then disappear out of the story again. Now, we've had a few examples in the past in the book of Acts. For example, Dorcas, the widow who died, who was doing good to the poor, and Peter came and raised her from the dead. And as a result of that resurrection, hundreds of people became believers. Or perhaps Ananias, the unknown disciple of Jesus in the city of Damascus, who helped Paul, baptized him, and prayed for him that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he disappears off, off the scene. And now we have another example, Paul's nephew, who heard about the assassination plot and made one act of intervention that made all the difference. And so I want to encourage you, many of you might feel, well, I'm one of those insignificant people. Well, you're not that insignificant, because who knows, at any point, you could become a key person, a link in the chain of God's events for other people, if you're available. Ananias was available. Dorcas had given her life to help the poor people. Paul's nephew was willing to take a risk. It was risky going to the governor. What would happen if the assassins had found out that he'd gone? He'd be assassinated too. God uses insignificant people and the book of Acts is a story of the partnership of leaders and many ordinary people who make things happen. My final point of reflection would be that this is an amazing story of courageous faith in times of danger and uncertainty and as you are listening to this uh, this talk today. It may be that you face times of danger or uncertainty for all sorts of reasons. And this passage, like so many other in the book of Acts, encourages us to trust God even when the situation looks impossible. Paul faced an absolutely impossible situation. The Romans had got him under guard. The Jews weren't even going to tolerate him in the city and would assassinate him at the first opportunity. He was on his own, powerless, but trusting God and having courage and obeying the things God called him to do. And that's all God asks us to do. So thanks for listening to this episode and I hope you'll join us for the next one.
You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.